Welcome, everybody, to All About Symbian Insight Podcast, number 244, recording this on Thursday, 5th of December, 2013, almost two months after our last podcast, Ray. That's shocking. It is a bit shocking. I, I guess that's really a reflection of the state of the Symbian ecosystem in terms of new things that we can talk about. Yeah, well, I think in the, in the meantime, we'll just make the podcast slightly less regular. I mean, once every two months is a bit shocking, really, and we do apologise. But uh, we'll yes. try for once a month in the, in the next six months, certainly, I think. Um, yeah. Well, I'm tempted to call this the, la- the, the last in, All About Symbian Insight podcast ever. But of course, Symbian will carry on in 2014, even if, even if the Nokia store is frozen. That's absolutely right. I mean, we're on number 244 now. I'd like to get to 250 at least and maybe a few beyond there. Whether we get to 300, I think that's probably a little more open to debate. But I mean, you're alluding to the the store closing down then. I mean, that actually closes for submissions as we're recording a week tomorrow. That's going to kind of be the end of the kind of the official channel for apps. Although I've no doubt that there will be some activity kind of outside the store. Um, But I think it's fair to say things will ramp down a little bit more as has been happening throughout this year. But sometimes it's worth remembering that there are still significant numbers of Symbian users out there. For example, there's some recent data out from Kantar that says, I think in China, the install base for Symbian is about 15% of smartphones. And there are some European markets, particularly Italy and Spain, where Symbian held on a little bit longer than uh, places like the UK and France where there's still, you know, it's relatively small, 10%, a long way away from the glory days where it was 90% of the smartphone market. Uh, But uh, things do change. Um, Steve, I mean, how regularly are you using uh, a Symbian device these days? You've got the 808, which I imagine is still in commission as your main kind of camera phone device, as it is remains really the best camera phone device on the market or available. Well, maybe not so much available anymore, but are you actually using it as your day-to-day device as well? Do you know what? I, I would like to think I was, but I have to confess I've been tempted by the dark side. <laughs> and uh, I, although the 808 is by my side, I'm third, I'll, never, I'll never part with it, etc., etc. And it's fully loaded with all the apps I need. And if at a pinch I could put my SIM card in there and I just walk off into the sunset and, and it would do 95% of the things I want to do. I've been tempted by things like Netflix and by Real Racing 2 and some of the goodies that are available on other slightly more modern smartphones with higher specs and higher res screens and uh, the 1020 currently has my main sim card and it's had it for the last couple of weeks now and on the whole I mean, we've had updates on the windows phone see the all about windows phone podcast this we've had, had updates for things like skype recently and the podcasting uh, podcatching clients so the, the, the limit in 20 windows phone 8 really is getting very close now to everything i'd want a smartphone to do so i would encourage i know this but not trying to turn this into a let's uh, <laughs> get all symbian users can move into windows phone because that's not necessarily the right thing for them to do and we'll come to that shortly in this podcast but uh, if, if any 808 users in particular were just holding off thing well I, I love the camera i love the xenon flash and 41 megapixel but i'm not sure i could live with windows phone then you might want to just give it a try because a lot has changed and improved in the last i'd say three or four months yeah that's right and it's probably worth bearing in mind there are more updates to come on that front. We're not that far away probably from the release of what will probably be Windows Phone 8.1. That's expected to happen next spring. Um, I, I'm not saying rush out and buy one, you're guaranteed to get that. But that's going to add in some further things, which I think may uh, it, it convince some of the last doubters. As you say, there's Windows Phone isn't the only option. If you're looking for a really good camera phone device, it probably is your, your best option. Uh, but likewise, I mean, I've said for a while now that you know, a Windows phone device has been my main device and I've also used an Android device as my main device. I still use the 808 for a connected camera, uh, but it's 
to be honest, little more than that. Um, I, I can remember seeing a while back someone saying, I'll be convinced uh, to, to switch or that Symbian sort of quietly going away when Steve Litchfield has switched over his main sim. So it appears that <laughs> point has, has now arrived, I think, heralded by, by various things. It's an inevitable process, but um, I hope we aren't going to get too many hate mail or hate emails for that. You know, it reflects the reality, and I hope people will remember that we spent a long time writing about and being very fond of Symbian, but we do also uh, have to move with the times as well. I say things move, services change. For example, this is on the on the Nokia 808 and Symbian. I'm going to Nokia Maps, and it was receiving regular map updates, you know, with new streets, new data, changes to the underlying maps up until about six months ago. Since then, there's been absolutely nothing on Symbian, yet on Windows Phone, uh, we've had you know regular updates coming in, um, and presumably the here maps are being evolved on other platforms as well. So just bit by bit, services are, are dropping dropping away. Somebody pointed out to me via Twitter this afternoon that Nokia Drops ceased to exist, and that's actually stopped a couple of months ago. But one by one, services are dropping by the wayside. Some of the Facebook clients no longer work at all. Uh, we've only got I think one of those is now still working. QTube is is dancing on eggshells, changing, adapting, and doing new versions. And even that's got just one one more update, perhaps, to come through Nokia's store. And then it's um, it, going back to its own internal update mechanism, where it checks the servers uh, on its own, a bit like Gravity does. So things are changing. Developers who are enthusiastic are scrambling to get things working, to keep things going for a bit longer. But there will come a point, I suspect, when uh, the, the compatibility with online services and the support from Nokia and, and with other other developers is just going to fade away, and well, people who stick with Symbian will be well, <laughs> admirably perverse, if I may put it that way. Yes, I think uh, it's probably a, a fair way to put it. I mean, it does depend what you're using your phone for. I mean, if you're looking to just do the relative basics in terms of it being a phone, sending text messages, you know, email, maybe the odd bit of web browsing, just for you know, on mobile pages in particular, there's no reason to to stop using it. But I think it's fair to say a, a lot of the modern smartphone experience now exists in addition to that. And it's media consumption and the easy consumption of web services that really makes a difference there. Uh, you know, People will hold on to various bits of functionality. I mean, mentioned it before, but VoIP or something like USB on the go for media consumption. If those things are really important to you... Uh, you know, there might be reasons to stick around. I mean, in, in those instances, there are options on the Android platform. But I think the benefits you get from switching to a modern platform now, be that iPhone, be that Android, or be that Windows phone, or perhaps even BlackBerry 10, if you're feeling like absolutely going on to another platform that probably isn't going to be around all that much longer, it, it is a different experience that you get with um, than Symbian. I mean, there still are all the things around battery life and, you know, that access to easy multitasking and things like that but i think it's increasingly difficult for anyone to argue that there's you know very much on the scale on, in favor of, of symbian that hasn't been replicated or there's not an alternative available on on those modern platforms um but of course you know if it works for you as it is and you don't need to upgrade there isn't actually any need to do so i mean one thing that people kind of idly forget when discussing this topic is smartphones are quite expensive bits of kit especially if you go for a high-end version and so you know if you've recently got a, a Symbian device in the last year maybe you invested in an 808 or something like that it may be a few more years before you actually need to think about it but bear in mind that some of these issues we're talking about with online services may well impact how easy it is to use certain elements of your device. Yeah, Perhaps the best way of putting it is that the Symbian devices are becoming excellent 
and I, with a capital E, backup smartphones, whereby, okay, they may not do everything you want the modern smartphone to do, and they may not do it with such a high-resolution screen or such panache, but in terms of flexibility, in terms of replaceable batteries, in terms of going for two or three days on a charge, I mean, most people, and they're certainly listening to this podcast, have some kind of regime. If they have a, a main phone, which is their primary smartphone, they probably have a couple of older smartphones that they keep around in case the main one breaks. And I would suggest and, and that something like a, an N8 or a C7 or, or an E6 or an even an older E72 or something, um, they make a darn good backup phone. You think, okay, well, I'm not going to sell it. It's going to stay on one side. I'm, I'm still going to love it to bits. It may not be the one I'd take out day to day, but if anything happens to my whatever it is, I don't know, Nexus or LG or Galaxy or Nokia Luma, anything happens to that, I can put my SIM straight back in this other device and SIM will do me proud and, uh, you know, last me days on a charge and, and give me just the fundamentals and the multitasking I used to be used to. Yes, that's right, Steve. I mean, I will say I find it difficult to switch back to using a Symbian device full time because occasionally I have gone out with the 808 as my kind of only device. Uh, it tends to be uh, I'm using it to make the odd call or maybe some text message rather than kind of the full smartphone experience. There are a couple of things that people kind of need to be aware of is that SIM sizes have changed. And particularly if you're trying to use an N8, that can be a bit of a problem because the N8 really doesn't do very well with the SIM adapters that you can get because there's obviously mm. something like the Nano SIM, which is in the most recent iPhone, also the Lumia 1520. And then there's the kind of micro SIM that you're getting in a lot of devices, including some of the last of the Simian device, of course. And then you've got the kind of the standard SIM size, so it's actually mini SIM size, which most of the older Simian devices mm. have. Anytime you've got kind of a, a tray you can fold in and out or some kind of caddy, you should be fine with an adapter. I mean, you might need to be just a bit careful yeah. to make sure nothing gets caught. But there are a couple of devices of which the N8 is probably the most popular one in terms of devices sold, where it doesn't work quite so well. So you might need to keep around a pay-as-you-go SIM card to act as your backup, which kind of invalidates the backup argument a little bit because you will normally want you know calls coming in on your own number. If it's going to be a long period of time, you can go and talk to your operator and they will generally give you a exchange a SIM for you for free. But a lot of the time, it's just going to be a backup for maybe a week's period or for some other reason. Um, so just that's uh, the issue I think that people would need to be aware of if they're kind of wanting their older yeah. smartphone to take on that backup role. Yeah, the N8 is really the, the, the main culprit here. Um, the C, things like the C7 are interesting because although it's a kind of slot mechanism, it's a very manual mode there's there is a kind of a spring in there as well but you can sit you can access the slot you can see what's going on and if necessary you can slide the appropriate piece of paper in to ease the contacts whereas with the n8 everything's enclosed of course it's unibody design and you're stuck if it goes wrong but uh apart from the n8 i mean most things like the e6 where it's just a man you just slide the sim in there's no spring loading i think that works quite well with an adapter it does. I mean, the spring-loaded ones, you should be fine as long as you're you're careful. It's it's just, it actually tends to be if um, you haven't got a very good adapter, you know, things can sort of get tangled up in there. So I would say if you're doing this, make sure you invest in a, a decent adapter. Um, ways to tell it's decent, well, it's kind of a, the obvious thing. Look on some of the websites, and the more expensive ones do tend to be a little bit higher quality. Um, and you can see the snugness of the fit and things like that. Um, but it's hard to give sort of generic advice on something something like which adapter to get. But um, kind of uh, avoid the really cheap ones or that have a lot of flex in them as well. 
Yeah, the, the thing to look for actually is the uh, ones which have bracing for the SIM card in all That's four right. corners, little triangular cutouts, ones that actually support it and stop the SIM card falling through. <laughs> what you don't want to happen is the, that the SIM card kind of coming out the other side of the adapter and then fouling the various um, prongs. Anyway, moving back to applications, Rafe, if we may. Yes. And um, I was mentioned there that uh, uh, applications are being, being adapted in the last-minute scramble for the active developers to change them before they get set in the stone in the Nokia store. And hopefully... Uh, quite a few of them now have the, this auto-update mechanism whereby, for example, things like the um, the F1 update uh, application, which gives you all the Formula 1 news. There's Gravity, I've already mentioned, and QTube, and there are, are others. So you, people can download them, say, in the Nokia store in all throughout 2014, and they will effectively be downloading a slightly old version. But that version itself, once installed, will go online and think, oh, there's a new version, and will then you know, set off the appropriate download and then install it in the usual way from the author's own signed version. And I guess that's a workable scheme, but we should just mention a huge caveat in that um, any application which requires special you know, privileges and permissions, we're talking here of utilities, you know, low, fairly low-level stuff, stuff, perhaps stuff that needs the camera or stuff that needs access to the microphone, that sort of thing, they will need to be signed and knock your stopping signing, as you said, from about a week or so's time. So unless you've got uh, you know, a friend within Nokia or a friend within a very big developer, uh, it may be that quite a few applications can't physically be updated, even if they're you know, intended to be sideloaded because they can't be signed to enable all the appropriate permissions. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's difficult to tell how much of an impact this will have because there are a whole group of applications for which this isn't an issue. But I would suggest there's, shall we say, maybe 10 or 20 percent where yeah. this could be an issue. And some of those could maybe work around it, but some of them just won't be able to, and so you'll be stuck with the version you have. Um, some of the web service applications we've been talking about, that shouldn't be too much of an issue. It does tend to be the ones that integrate with a lower level into the platform. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the some of the button replacement stuff or you know deep into profiles or other kind of utilities like that. I suspect that's not going to be too much of an issue because those applications by by their very nature are quite stable and so having been developed they will continue to work and there's not software updates going on that might mess them up but it does mean we won't see any more of those types of applications be released um i'm not it's difficult to really say how much of an issue this is because there's would be natural wastage of developers kind of moving away from the platform anyway i i think at this point it's mainly developers who have a a personal interest rather than looking to make any money out of it just because of the number of devices left and honestly if you're you're purely in it for the money there's probably greener pastures elsewhere and has been for quite some time so Yes, it will have an impact, but I suspect you can probably overstate this. Um, it's more kind of, well, that's going to affect a couple of applications, a couple of developers are going to fine, I'm not going to do any more updates, but would that have a major, major impact? Possibly not. I mean, would you agree with that, Steve, or do you think that's going to be a, a, a bit more of a killing off activity? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think some of the, the utilities that we're talking about, they're probably... But there's no new hardware for them to address. After all, things are going to change the hardware side of things. So um, I think we'll be fine. And acute, acute run times, of course, are signed. So hopefully developers for most applications can tie into that and continue to, continue to produce applications which we could then sideload and download from various places. And talking of that, um, we, I have continued with my project Steve's Application Store over <laughs> on my own server. But of course, at some point, we do intend to bring this to AS as well. 
um, basically indexing what I consider the best and most worthy applications, certainly the ones that best to start with, including uh, at the moment links to the Nokia store. But of course, there, I'm also putting download links um, to, to SIS files directly on the All About Symbian server where we're legally allowed to do so. So it will just give you an extra venue for grabbing the installers for all sorts of interesting bits and pieces, even if the app developers actually pull them from the store. And normally when developer X decides, oh, no, um, it's too much hassle to support Symbian, Symbian's dying, I'm pulling my app from the store, or they just don't renew their membership or whatever scheme Nokia's got going. Um, but in actual fact, the application will still work absolutely fine if people get hold of the installer, which is part of why I did it. So if people do look at um, stevelitchfield.com and then just follow the link to Steve's application store, um, there should be, you'll now find there's loads of download links besides all sorts of useful uh, utilities and, and extra modules, some of which aren't officially available anymore. So do go and have a look at that. And uh, thanks to Rafe for hosting the, um, all the bandwidth for those SIS files. Yeah, well, it's interesting. We've actually seen quite a bit of activity on those. I mean, it's still relatively minor when you consider it's probably one of the few places you can pick up some of these applications. But actually, that brings up a, a good point. I mean, we talked about how this uh, signing scenario is going to have probably a minimal impact. I do think the fact that uh, developers will no longer be able to distribute via the store will probably have more of an impact. There are certainly going to be those that continue to do so independently and have made provision or are making provision for that. But it really does put the kibosh on sort of new applications. It makes it very hard for kind of awareness of those, of a newly released app to get out. I mean, we've already talked about how there are very few uh, new apps being released. Um, it actually lasted longer than we ever really anticipated. It's something of a theme in previous podcasts that we did actually have apps to talk about. And indeed, there's still updates coming along. I mean, if you look in the flow column on all about Symbian, Steve's gone through quite a few uh, apps update, you know, with the likes of Qt2 and also the utilities, but also new alarm and sort of the dictate for voice notes and things like that. So it's not that there's no activity. I, I just think it's kind of the point where that was the big official distribution channel and it was an easy way of reaching lots of people. And once that not disappears because it's still there for existing apps, but obviously for uh, new apps or for updates, it doesn't work. And so, uh, you know, I, I would definitely say this is kind of a milepost that's a, a pretty significant one in terms of drawing a line underneath Symbian. With all that said, you know, what we were saying earlier about the kind of install base and there still being lots of users out there. It, so it is kind of... Um, you know, it's a sad day to see this happen because it does still feel a little bit premature to me as we when we talked about yeah. this on the last podcast. Yeah. As I speak to you now, Rafe, I am on my Nokia 808 running Symbian. I'm switching easily between and browsing Google Plus, Google Maps um, and Google Translate and a few other services. Can you guess how I'm doing it? I'm guessing that you're using a rather good third party application, which sort of helps you get into some of the html5 versions of the google services is it the google hd browser by any chance you have been reading the show notes that's cheating i have um, yeah. <laughs> google hd go and have a look at the story on the site if you're listening to this because it's one of the cleverest little bits of software i've seen in the last couple of months of symbian it sounds easy i mean i i made a, a play a, a few months ago maybe half six months ago of digging out the appropriate you know special url the magic source you type that into browser and bingo you're into the iphone version of google maps or google mail or whatever um, and then google as they tend to do they change things around they mess around with the url they mess around with things behind the scenes of course those bookmarks break um, at the moment this google hd um, application which ties you it takes away all the, the typing in a URL. It just magically takes you to the appropriate HTML5 versions, as, well, as you say, um, Google Search, um, Google Google Maps, Google Plus, Google Mail, and so forth. 
Um, I don't know what's going to happen if Google then change something behind the scenes, how much work it is for the developer, whether he serves up the URL server side his end or whether he's going to have to do some updating. I'm guessing, as we said, mentioned earlier, that he doesn't have to go too low a level. So hopefully he can continue to supply some kind of update. But uh, certainly if, you're into, if you've got any investment in Google services, and I know a lot of our listeners do also have Android devices, for example, and Gmail accounts, then it's well worth looking at this Google HD. It's only a quid or so. And it gives you well, it's pretty, it's a pretty good experience. And you only have to log in, what is it, once a, once a week or so forth and just seamlessly move between these Google products. Very nice. Yeah, what's interesting about this is, you know, there's always been this continuous debate between native app versus web app. And uh, I'll be the first to say, even with something like this, which, uh, to be fair, is kind of the HTML5 version of Google, which they put a lot of investment into. And it's not really designed for the Symbian devices. They've you know made it so it works well on iPhone and Android and various other smartphones. But you get pretty close to the experience. And, you know, so if it's not kind of, if you like, your primary use case for your phone, if it's something you basically want to have access to, but you're not going to worry too much if it's not the, you know, cutting edge ease of use. Because I, I still think native apps work better in most circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it works really quite well. And, you know, if you're thinking, oh, do I need to upgrade to kind of maintain access to some of these things? Well, the answer is no, probably not. Um, I guess it comes down to how often you, you use this. I mean, for example, for something like access to Gmail, a, a lot of the time it may be you just want to get into Gmail to do a search you know, through your archive or something like that because you've got ready access to recently received yeah, email. Yeah. And that's probably a use case. It doesn't come up all that often for most people when they're out and about. Um, similarly, for something like Maps, um, a lot of the time you do have access to here Maps, but there might be something you want to look up on Google. But I can't imagine it's an everyday thing. You know, the Translate and the Google Plus, sort of similar things apply there. And so it, it's very easy to slip into the mode of saying, oh, you want the best possible experience and you need to upgrade your phone to get that. But actually, it's kind of this good enough scenario. And it's something I'm always trying to bear in mind when I'm writing about phones or talking to them talking to people about it or recommending a, a, a phone you know do you really need to upgrade to the latest and greatest you know is this good enough for your particular set of use cases uh, and yes of course you can get something better but does that always mean you absolutely have to have it because of course getting that better thing may require some other trade-off and be that spending money on a new device and or losing something you're familiar with on your existing device so i think this kind of application is really interesting You've said it before, Steve, the, the Symbian web browser, particularly in the later versions, got updated enough to get enough HTML functionality in there that it works pretty well for most of the basic web apps, particularly if they've been designed for mobile devices. It doesn't do well on the, you know, the heavy HTML apps, um, but that's actually still true of most of the smartphones. Some of them are, are, are better than that. Actually, you know, I, I think there's a, still quite a bit of function and power in there if you're just using even the Symbian web browser here. Yeah, yeah. I should also mention I'm on my A208 and also on my C7 and N8. I'm using the uh, Delight custom firmware. I guess we should just very briefly mention that as well. It's, uh, although Nokia have, I mean, I guess you can now say it's a done deal. They're never going to update firmware on any Symbian device ever again at this point, <laughs> especially given the next story we wanted to mention briefly about Microsoft. So there's, there's no more firmwares coming from Nokia. And I doubt, actually, there's going to be any more SW update patches either, which means you've got nothing to lose, really assuming you're out of warranty, with actually experimenting with custom firmware. And uh, the guys that do put together the Delight custom firmwares have done a cracking job. I mean, the devices, the 808 here and these other devices, they boot up with more RAM, with more free disk space on the system disk. 
um, with less of the bloatware applications with some extra handy utilities, they can also, this is crucial, they can also, um, you can turn on an install server patch, which means that even unsigned applications from the developers, which are, can be low level, can be installed directly on the phone without any of the, you know, the OS nannying you and saying, no, you can't install that. This hasn't got the right permission. So I would encourage people again to, if they are out of warranty, to have a look at my articles about installing the light custom firmware. And I, and it, I know it's kind of a, it's not an official way forward. Um, and I'm not really even sure how often the delight firmware is going to be updated, but as a way of jumping from uh, sort of Nokia Bell as it was a year ago, onto a, a, the next level on in terms of performance and, and resources, then I think it's a, it's a good extra step that can probably give most Symbian devices uh, an extra year of life. Yeah, so is this something that you'll kind of say is quite easy to do? I mean, in terms of for a, a user who's maybe a little bit scared about doing something like this, is you know, especially to their backup device, you know, they want to give it a bit more life. I mean, yeah. what, what's involved in this process? Well, you need a couple of things. You need a device which is supported. They haven't done Delight firmware for every Symbian device yet. I think it's things like the NHC 7808, the obvious ones. I think the Nokia 700 is in progress at the moment, and the 500 is also available now. Other devices, I guess, waiting. I'm almost tempted, Rafe, to send the developer a couple of the devices he hasn't got so that he can get the firmware um, tested and provided on them. Um, so you need that. You need a Windows 7 uh, laptop, maybe Windows 8, but I wouldn't recommend anyone go there. So they are Windows 7 laptop or desktop. Uh, and the appropriate links to the Phoenix flashing software, which uh, you can find on the, on the Delight site. Basically, just download the, the, the version they, they recommend and download the firmware file and then just follow the tutorial. And we've got multiple links to the tutorial on my various articles and all about Symbian. So uh, I'll also say allow amount of time. You don't have to be a technical wizard. You just have to be technical enough to follow some basic instructions. You have to not mind incredibly if something does go wrong, because there's probably a 1% chance you'll mess it up, either for something you do or some, some freak accident and the, the device will be bricked. It's, it's a, sl- a slim chance, but it is possible. So you have to be prepared, but that's not your, your absolute main device. You have got a backup would be handy. And to allow plenty of time, I would say, the first time you do it, it's going to take you a couple of hours to mess around with installing Windows software and trying this and hooking that up and reading the instructions. After you've done it a couple of times, it'll be down to 10, 15 minutes. So it's, it's not trivial. But it's also not impossible, and a, a huge number of listeners and uh, readers of all about Symbian have been contacting me over the last six months saying they're basically now using the light custom firmware on their whatever device it is, and they're very, very happy. So uh, if, if we can all do it, then <laughs> so can a lot of the people listening to this podcast, I suspect. Yeah, I think our audience is probably some of the more uh, tech-savvy of the Symbian users left because they actually know they've got a Symbian device. And as you say, the good thing about this is actually there's plenty of instructions and all the downloads are pretty readily available. It just, once you work through the process the first time, it's sort of slightly daunting as it is for any kind of custom ROM if you haven't done it before. And uh, yeah, you, you do it at your own risk because there it's a theoretical chance it goes wrong. Looking through the various forums and things like that, that seems to be a pretty rare occurrence. And we know plenty of the people listening to this podcast have actually been running it uh, for quite a long time. I've seen um, Andy, for example. I know, I'm sure you're listening to this, Andy. I know you've been running Delight on your 808 since before the summer because I can remember uh, talking to you about it. Yeah, Andy Haken. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, yeah. Thank you. I try not to out him completely as a, a, a <laughs> firmware user of the, the sort of slightly illegal. Sense. I mean, whether it's illegal, it, it doesn't matter. No one's really going to care at, at this point. It's something I always used to have a kind of a fit about what, whether it's something we could legit, 
ultimately mentioned. But uh, I think that, that ship has well and truly sailed at this point. And as you say, um, it, I, I think it actually has the biggest benefit for some of the older devices, the ones that kind of had less RAM on them, where you know the, the benefits of freeing up the RAM are sort of a, a bit more apparent. You do kind of have to accept that some of the things that get changed I mean, it doesn't look entirely like a standard Symbian device. I mean, of course, you can then customize it with your own themes and things like that. And just as someone who's a bit of a purist, uh, that was the thing that kind of surprised me a little bit and sort of t- took me back a bit. But having said that, that's not really a, a very valid or fair complaint, if I'm honest. Anyway, I'm really enjoying my white Nokia 808. We're delighted. Just, it looks and feels fairly modern. And the biggest disappointment, apart from applications, as I mentioned earlier, is probably the screen resolution. I... I I was kind of happy enough with, with, with Symbian uh, two or three years ago, but once you start using um, smartphones from 2013 with 720 and 1080p screens with applications like YouTube and Netflix and you know, especially media consumption, you, and you, you really do notice when you go back to some devices. When, you, when you're looking at something like, I don't know, Google+, Plus, I was just looking at Google+, Plus in the Google HD, and it's readable on the 808, and it brings up Google's HTML5 site, and you, you can read the text, but it's so so blocky so it's almost annoyingly blocky if you then compare that side by side i've got my nexus 5 beside it looking at exactly the same page and that it's night night and day the the text on the nexus 5 you can see every gentle curve of every character whereas each each letter is about 15 pixels on, on the 808 so but, but things change the 808 was uh, and the screen resolution was from what 2008 2009 that's when the NHU resolution was um, specified by Nokia and Symbian for the, the, their next-gen operating system. There was a plan, wasn't there, uh, Rafe, that about uh, two, two or three years ago, there was a, was it um, Symbian, Carla and De- Donna? Uh, and that they were actually planned to go up to higher screen resolution. Do you happen to know what that resolution was? I'm not sure whether this ever got publicly talked about, uh, but I think it was going up towards a sort of 720p resolution. I mean, it was also yeah. going towards multiple cores and things like that. That was certainly all in the roadmap. And... Uh, I think in terms of kind of regrets at what Symbian hardware didn't get to, I think the higher screen resolution is probably the biggest one because, as yeah. as you said, I think actually that's the biggest thing you notice when going to another device. There's also an element of speed and all the experiences we've talked about, but that's kind of a given because of the software and things like that. But look at the 808, and you know, obviously the camera's very good. The actual quality of the screen is really very good on the 808. Yeah, um, yeah. Things like brightness and outdoor visibility. You can actually match it up against any of the modern devices then you have got the chunky design and things like that but actually in terms of really interesting important upgrades that you kind of notice not the background stuff like processors or ram or memory screen resolution i've spent a long time saying it doesn't really matter it's not a big deal and while the screen sizes were in the kind of three and a half inch and below range that was i still i still would maintain true but once you got above four inches which of course the last of the symbian devices you know did get to that point that that kind of resolution didn't really cut it and um i mean i i tend to still think 1080p is probably a luxury that most people don't need unless you're talking about a six inch plus display but um 720p as you've got on things like the the 920 you know, and even going up to the the, the four eighty by eight hundred, which was kind of the standard for the first Windows phone, it does make a difference. And you're right, it's yeah. that consumption of media, video. Yes, I think that that that's true. Um, but it's really the reading of text and web pages that yeah. you really really notice it. And you know, uh, you can actually kind of see this sort of when you stick an HDMI cable into 
uh, a Symbian device and then show stuff on the TV with the photos, you can kind of see the difference between the two. Because, of course, in the, I think it's the 808, may have been the only device that did this, was actually capable of um, selectively showing things at a higher resolution when it was doing it via HDMI. Of course, most people won't have ever come across that because it was a relatively rare use case. But, um, yeah, you're right. As we're in reflective mood, I'd have to agree there that the screen resolution was is the thing I really like. Uh, we, we promise not to talk entirely about why you should be upgrading to uh, non-sensitive device. Hopefully we struck the balance a bit there, but now we've uh, come full circle and gone back and said, yes, you need it because of the screen. <laughs> in, in fairness, again, um, just looking at the, the, the Symbian fonts, the Symbian icons, the, the, they're, they're designed for an HD and they work quite well. It's when you venture out of the standard Symbian apps into, is, for example, yeah. web browser HTML5 apps, where that's where you're completely at the mercy of the rendering of, of the web engine, and that's when you really notice it. The, you know, the standard icons and the standard text on the system screen on the application menu, menu, that's fine. It's when you go beyond that that you really notice the restrictions. Yeah, and I, I suspect a lot of people who do that regularly have now moved on to other devices anyway, so it comes back to, you know, is it fit for the purpose you, you want it for? And as you say, in the kind of the built-in stuff, it continues to work fine. And most of these screens, it, it's not that they're displaying less information, you know, the resolution obviously means you tend to get a blockage but you can pick out individual pixels and apple did really well in in marketing kind of that idea of retina resolution but uh, does it make it does the information not get you no it's perhaps not presented quite so beautifully and uh, i'd say it's the equivalent of reading text on kind of an lcd display versus reading it on an e-ink display once you start using an e-ink display for kind of reading an e-book it's very hard then to try and read an e-book for long periods of time on an lcd display even one that's a nice high resolution uh, but if you're accustomed to it you probably won't notice so much but uh, i think all of this comes back to the if you're happy with what you've got it's fine don't feel the pressure to upgrade but be aware that you know technology does move on pretty rapidly yeah yeah we are actually running short of time because I actually have to dash as we record this late on a Friday afternoon. What I'm going to do, suggest, Rafe, is two things. One is that we were going to talk about Nokia being bought out by Microsoft as a more general thing, but maybe we can take that as a sort of starting point for our next All About Symbian podcast in January. And also the Yola phone, which is based on Mega, which is not Symbian, but it's certainly of interest to the people who um, had the Nokia N9s back in the day, for example, and certainly people who, who appreciate proper multitasking. Um, the Yola phone is due to arrive here in the next few days, hopefully. So uh, hopefully by the time we have the next All About Civic Insight podcast, I can actually report on what, whether that's another viable, viable device and platform to transition across from Symbian to. So, uh, that sounds that like okay? a good plan. We've got some good content for upcoming podcasts. We might even manage to sneak out a Jolla special uh, before the sort of the next one, next one is due in January, because I know a lot of people are interested in that, and I'm going to be very interested to pick Steve's brains on that, because I think for a lot of people that's kind of the natural continuation of what happened with the N9, the Mega Heart Matten device, um, and of course, in, in one sense, it's kind of the spiritual success to some of the things that Nokia was talking about a lot. I, I think the sad thing is there probably they didn't have the time or the money to do it, and it's the same problem that Nokia came across. Actually, it's pretty hard to make it a very um, cohesive, yeah. coherent phone. But we'll save that for next time. And yes, we will talk more about Nokia Microsoft deal. We've had more regulatory approval, but by, I suspect by the time we do the next uh, full Symbian podcast, we'll be a bit further down that road. Um, in terms of Symbian users, we've said before, you're not going to have much of an impact. But of course, I think a lot of people are also interested in Nokia as a company. So maybe we'll talk a bit about that and what's going to be happening to here and the Advanced Technologies Division. 
Lovely. In the meantime, if we don't speak to you before then, uh, all about stimulusness, have a great Christmas and holiday and New Year. And we won't be gone quite as long this time, but uh, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you, everybody, for listening.